Come on and slam. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. This is Illiterate. I read some stuff this week. I watched a movie. This week we are covering Space Jam, A New Legacy. And we're not usually one to follow the kind of negative talk. We're usually one to follow up the whys. What led us to here? <laughs> and what is hmm. it? And how? Well, not even good. Just... What is it about? Or, <laughs> what could it possibly be the about? The biggest thing is yeah. we've been waiting this long for it. This is a movie that's been rumored for decades. And so it, you get to 2021, and I started to ask the question of, of for real, like, why now? Mm -hmm. I've found something by the end of it pretty touching. And I, I'm really excited to open up this episode because I think we have something behind the Looney Tunes and Space Jam is a property yeah. that nobody's expecting. You know the show. This is <laughs> this is what we do. So I couldn't be more excited. A couple of the things that hopefully we'll hit on. Was it always for kids? That's a question mm. I was wondering as far right. as Looney Tunes, because the nostalgia maybe clouds what it was, what it became, and then the ideas of originality, authenticity. I always saw the Looney Tunes as like the Burger King or Pepsi of cartoons, right. whereas Disney was the main one, and then Looney Tunes was just trying to catch up and copy them and be relevant. And, in spite and that's of a them. great question right there on the top to back that question up of why, how did we end up here? How did we end up in the 90s with uh, Michael Jordan and this property? <laughs> These are characters from the 30s. Yeah. Yeah. This is a one of the longest standing properties. Uh, it's a juggernaut in the studios. It's the backbone workhorse of this studio i how did it even come together because these characters are from another time i i'm very interested in the themes just the generational yeah. themes even just before we've gotten going at sorry i hate to interrupt <laughs> no that's great it's great let's let's start with the new film the critical standpoint because the old one gets regarded as this cultural touchstone of the 90s right. but the original critics rating and this is all Rotten Tomatoes stuff, right. so whether or not you believe in that. But the 44 critics rating and then a 66 audience rating was not the gold. Right. It, you know, it wasn't being at hailed the at the Academy Awards. It, it wasn't reaching the, you know, Roger Rabbit, you know, gravitas mm -hmm. that critics definitely lauded that film for. But like you say, a touchstone and a crossing of so many different genres and pieces mm -hmm. of iconography. And. We'll get to some of that when we get into the making of the first one, but just in terms of the differences, number one, Michael Jordan versus LeBron James, which I can't speak to all the enormity of both of those people and personalities and legacies and whatever, but just in terms of the storyline, in the original, Michael Jordan was helping the Looney Tunes. Yes, they needed him. And in him. this one, it's the other way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was... It's played out in very simple logic. Is Bugs Bunny thinks well, we can just play a simple, you know, schoolyard game right here and beat these little short aliens, and then they realize there's more to the deal that you didn't you didn't realize the fine print. So what? And maybe we need to practice, mm -hmm. and maybe we need to get a team together. So they need the best basketball player on earth. <laughs> that is the that is the yeah. pitch for the for the movie. Basically, it makes all the sense <laughs> in the world for yeah. the Looney Tunes to we need Michael Jordan. And there is no confusion about where they are in place and time. And you just go along with it. Like this new Looney Tunes Space Jam is not set in space, but who cares? Has nothing right. to do right. with no, space. I, or, I, yeah. You know, it's about algorithms and corporate greed and a supercomputer that's trying to cash in. <laughs> Takes place in HBO Max. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In similar status of being based on, I don't know very much about LeBron James, except that he is 
the face, or at least was for a large period of time, the face of the NBA. And it does involve his family versus Michael Jordan is sort of removed from his family and it's more about his career right. since that's... Yes, this whole movie is like centered around like LeBron's family needs to like him, which is like so beyond what the original plot was. It really, He really has to be an actor, <laughs> right? So I looked into his family and it is pretty synonymous with what his actual family makeup is. Dom is the character that loves video games in the movie. And it's based on his real life son, Bryce, who's in middle school. And then Darius is inspired by his oldest son who is in high school and plays basketball. And then his daughter is based on his real life mm -hmm. daughter. But in terms of him being a neglectful parent or pushing them to do, you know, he's like, that's not really his brand. Yes. So, you know, it's not like there's really, you know, no documentary or anything like that. So it's interesting that we have to have this fake family. But then I feel like we start <laughs> to uncover some of the character problems here, because if we're going to paint him as the bad guy, quote unquote, bad guy, I know they know he's still so likable <laughs> from the basically the yeah. moment you meet him. And I got very quickly the the taste that you get once in a while uh, when you're looking at things through these types of lenses, the, the taste of maybe this is contractual. And I started seeing a very different character emerging on the screen from what I what I saw in the original Space Jam. What I eventually saw in this movie is a character and an actor who at no point could be the butt of any joke. Right. And it was quite interesting that the ego was almost on display in that way. Immediately, you start to limit that character's depth. So it the first time Michael Jordan meets the Monstars, he's balled up into a basketball and they play ball with him. <laughs> right. And it's just this. That's the well, you have different. to wonder. Yes, yeah, you have to wonder with the timeline of this. So 2014 was when Warner Brothers announced the plans with LeBron. As of now, the timeline is close where Michael Jordan was 32 when they filmed the first one and LeBron is 36 this year. But announcing that he was going to be in it in 2014, how much has his career changed mm. in the past yeah. seven years? So maybe there's some of that as well. Maybe he was more the way Michael was <laughs> at 32. Definitely, yeah. Than if the you way think about it in, now in the parallel track like know. that, I could see that he's might just not ready to make fun of himself. Like, and that was so in integral to the plot of Space Jam is in the original is him moving on mm -hmm. from basketball. We were talking about his his, uh, his insecurity in his career, what was playing out publicly in the in the mid 90s. Well, the last thing for that, as far as like silliness and and. The like you're talking about the earnestness. What what is this about? I just just seeing because there was a thing about Porky Pig rapping and like how that's not relevant or it goes on for too long and it's just a bizarre. Right. I'd like to draw some criticism that this new one has in parallel as we go through this with some of the older stuff and be like, well, it really wasn't. We're just sort of misremembering mm -hmm. like the Mandela effect where we thought it was one thing. The last track of the soundtrack of the original movie is Bugs Bunny rapping. Oh, yeah. It's you a whole bugging? track. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I. I so it's not that far no, off. No, it's you know, not. As far as and, like, and it wasn't. In when the, it, no, and, and, and you're exactly right. It's not off base at all. It's like, yeah, there wasn't a scene with Bugs Bunny rapping, but the whole track is there and somebody paid good money to do it. Thousands and thousands. Of well, and here's who did it was. Yeah, the, well, the rap was written by Sean Carter, a.k.a. Jay-Z. Oh my God. So, yeah. So like, yeah. Jay-Z wrote a rap real about how much money, how seriously they were do, you know, what about doing that? And it was very serious. Shameless, like, yeah. That was, 
and and yeah, when you yeah. when you put these two com comparatively together, no, it's uh, you know at least in down in this moment, it's not that different. Where this one started to stray off for me, and on a on a, I'm like I'm looking for the traveling through the Warnerverse that instantly Bugs Bunny on a search to find and amass the team, you get this caricature Saturday Night Live bit style thing that ends up actually going on for a minute. And I start wondering like, man, this is a substantial chunk of this movie. And is it adding up? And I'm and you're just like, and you're getting one thing after another. And we're, you know, it's just, now we're in this property. Right? Do you remember this? Is the, hey, kids, have you ever heard yeah. of this? And, you know, like, oh, I, we know you love this. Rick and Morty show up. Like, it's absolutely bonkers. <laughs> it, it does change and it surprises me. But I, up and through this point, I'm feeling so disjointed in the hoops. I'm feeling like this thing is having to jump through just to get on screen. And I wish, ultimately, I just wish the LeBron was a little bit more willing to take a joke that he could feel a little bit more part mm -hmm. of the Looney Tunes before the movie kicks into high gear. Let's talk about the Looney Tunes as a whole. What what are they or what were they? Because you're saying, I wish he was more like them or they had more of this. Yeah, or, you absolutely. Know, like, yeah. We and didn't go to Rick that, and Morty yeah, land. Please, because like you're saying, the, the <laughs> and it's such a good way to put it, is the Burger King. You know, you got McDonald's and Burger Kings. It's the ultimate dude. It's the face off. This is the Coke, and Pepsi. Coke and Pepsi, yeah. baby. This is the rivalry. And you're, that's such a great way to put it. And I think that puts that puts them just on the right footing um, against all of yeah. the other major characters, the Disney's and everything else out there. Um, so I, I would love to really get into the history of where, how in the world we got into the 90s to begin with before we get into all the problems I was mm -hmm. just going on about. Music has always been a thing with them more so than I thought. Really? And even t tying into like corporate shilling merchandise from the 90s goes back to the 30s. So this was Looney Tunes first created in 1930, Disney's first animated feature Snow White was in 37. Okay. So this is before either of them were doing full-length yeah. feature anything. Produced by this guy, Leon Schleisinger, and they were as a part of Warner Brothers. And just as an interesting side note, the gym in the first Space Jam is called Schleisinger Gym. So they did a little oh, nod lovely. to him. Yes. But the purpose was animated shorts used to promote Warner Brothers music. So Warner Brothers had just made all of these acquisitions, and Warner Music is now as it was a huge music company. So they were using them for the sales of their sheet music and phonograph records back in the 30s. It was a conduit for oh, wow, <laughs> music yeah. sales. The name is inspired because Disney was doing this too. They had a cartoon series called Silly Symphonies, which is where some of the Mandela effect comes in because Looney Tunes yeah. is not tune no, like cartoon. It's, not. Oh, oh, it's tunes no, oh, like get them out of here. Like, it's so weird. Yeah. You know, when you when you yeah. go to write it down, you go, wait a second. <laughs> Yeah, and on the shirt it says tunes, and it's one of those things that people are like, surely that can't be the case. But if you know that it started from, mm -hmm. well, we have these little ditties, we own all this music, how can we sell more music? Well, let's make these little animated things where the music's already available. So there was another portion that they also had called Merry Melodies, and that also kind of gets merged in with Looney yes, Tunes. Yes, I don't yes. know if you've seen both of those. And then They're there was like the Blue Ribbon. Me, uh, Mary Melody yeah, sounds. Yeah. And when I think about it now and not knowing the formalities of it as a child and what my colloquialism picking it up along the way, I go, oh, that's just almost like a, uh, a you know, a volume, you know? Yeah. But they were both basically the same thing. They all made use of the same cartoon characters. At the start, Mary Melodies was in color and Looney Tunes was black and mm. white, but eventually they were both color. And it was like, who even cares or knows the difference? Yes, yes, yes. 
<laughs> yeah. The only reason they kept doing both of them was because they didn't want the copyright to expire on one of them. So they just had to keep doing Merry Melodies and Looney Tunes. Oh, interesting. Since both yeah, of the characters were in both Working of them. against that copyright. <laughs> Keeping up that yeah. fight. <laughs> And as far as the music stuff, contractually, the Merry Melody side of things, those cartoons at the beginning were obligated to include at least one full chorus from a Warner Brothers song. So the like the lyrics just had to come in okay. for the chorus at some point, which annoyed the animators to yeah. no end. Oh, yeah. Because it's it just takes you completely there, out of that. That's tasty right there. Now we're starting to get some flavors yeah. here. Mm -hmm. And then eventually that requirement was dropped and they didn't have to. <laughs> it, it just doesn't work. So these shorts before films started airing in theaters from 1930 and went basically until 69. Wow. And they were before all types of films for all ages before the feature presentation. So not specifically aimed at kids, which gives yeah, it that yeah, yeah, Burger yeah. King versus McDonald's vibe. <laughs> they were a little bit edgier. Not so much that there weren't four kids. You know, they're four kids. We're not, you know, we're not right. saying that they're not four kids, but we're saying that they didn't want parents to just go uh a cartoon they wanted something there for for the parents to be able to latch on to them would keep them on to the you know, there was some taste of that and we and then that's such a valid thought you see that you know they're not that they're trying to widen that audience a little bit and i think that that's happening mm -hmm. so early that it's such a granular thought that i think that expanded throughout the you know uh, animation for sure and they really didn't do many shorts after that initial run from the 30s to the 60s, they had some released sporadically through Warner Brothers, but really dormant until 87, I guess, was when they started doing more. And then they, they really wanted, which we'll get to, they tried to do a sequel to Space Jam, which was Looney Tunes back in action, if you're thinking, wait, but they did that feature film thing with Brendan Fraser mm -hmm. and all that. We'll talk about that when we get to them trying to make a sequel to Space Jam. But really, up until Space Jam, they were just the, the classic cartoons that were being that were being re-aired. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So from then, from 1970 to the 80s, there was no new nothing. Which is we talked about in our Who Framed Roger Rabbit episode. That's why it was so crazy that that got made because they're uh -huh, like, we're bringing back this golden age of animation, which then pushes Disney and all that stuff. There you go. And yeah. So now all the kids that are coming into sentience through the eighties now, now Bugs Bunny is alive. Here he is. He was just in this new movie. And again, talking about like the cult status of this, it's like. The movie with the world's most popular basketball player with the most beloved cartoon characters and a score of top 10 songs is not really coming from a place of pure artistic integrity. <laughs> yeah. You know, you like, know, it's got some cells right there on top. You know, they. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also funny because you're talking about the new one wearing itself on its sleeve of like, well, see, we're just executives following an algorithm. And isn't that. And it's like, but you're doing it right yeah, there. Like now, here I am. I'm, I'm watching it currently. <laughs> <laughs> the original is not immune to that as well. This is what I looked into, and it's a little bit different from our usual adaptation stuff, as far as it's not a book, but adapted. You will not be surprised to find out from a multi-million-dollar ad campaign. Oh Originally started out in 1992, there was a Super Bowl commercial for Nike specifically the new Air Jordans, mm. the Air Jordan yes. 7s, which then became known as the Hair Jordans because the commercial involved some bullies at a basketball court roughing up Bugs Bunny. He calls upon Michael Jordan, who schools mm. them, the zany Looney Tunes stuff, and then 
the new Air Jordan <laughs> sevens are out. <laughs> the creator of this, I found a really great series of interviews with him. His name is Jim Riswold. And he wrote the spot and was in, in the ad agency talk about like corporate stuff. Yeah. What was his name? Jim Riswold. Jim Riswold. And so you're saying that yeah. this is the guy that's fine that put the pieces together. Biggest basketball star on the on earth, Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a Super Bowl commercial. The godfather of Space Jam, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. It's enough to get into him because yeah. like how how did he how did he get Michael Jordan to agree to the you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It has to be a certain person who can put all this together. Right. That he and then that has the opportunity to even try to put something like that together. Now you're whittling it down mm-hmm. to like, man, cool, who is this now? Who is this type of who is this dude? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the the big thing that I saw, because he had a super close relationship with Jordan and Nike, because he's mm-hmm. the ad agency that Nike is hiring, oh, okay, yeah. and then Nike is sponsoring yeah, yeah, Jordan. Yeah. So he's sort of the middleman between the two. And he was like, I was not wrapped up in the mystique of him at all. I did not fawn over him. My job is just to make him look good in ads or to sell shoes or whatever. He's like, Michael had enough people who fawned over him that I didn't have to be that guy. I'll give you one specific example because they they were friends or he said, I considered Michael my friend. You know, you don't know what Michael Jordan, what he's actually thinking about people. But they were saying they they played golf together. Uh, He had to drive him back to the hotel that Michael Jordan was staying at and Jim Riswold just had his tiny 1966 baby blue Volkswagen. Of course, Michael has his cadre of <laughs> press people and agents and all that stuff. And then some people from Nike are like, you can't drive him back. <laughs> Jordan's like, no, no, no. My college roommate had one. There's plenty of headroom. Oh, Not a big yeah. <laughs> so they drive back to the hotel together and the crowd is used to Michael Jordan coming through a side entrance mm-hmm in a fancy car with a bunch of people. So a Porsche rolls around the back alley and this whole group of people, because of course everybody knows what hotel he's staying at, but they follow this fancy Porsche and nobody sees Michael Jordan getting out in this junky old Volkswagen. <laughs> so that was an example from him. Yeah. Well, it, of you, some you of the relationship there. And I just want to, again, and I, I poked at it earlier, but I want to reiterate for the audience, just the different time that this was and what Michael Jordan was, mm-hmm. because if you haven't seen The Last Dance, the 10-part documentary oh, yeah. series on Netflix, it's absolutely incredible. I'm not, a, the, what I know of Michael Jordan is Space Jam, and we're covering it here basically today. <laughs> you know, it really put into context to me just what has happened over the last 30 years in terms of the information pipeline and fandom and what fame really is and how that has morphed and transformed in in 30 years. Uh, When Michael Jordan is at the height of his fame, the information pipeline is a pinhole. It's like looking through a straw. What information Mm -hmm. goes in and comes out of there is pretty limited. And so the exposure from that, you only know so many people. You only know five names. And it took off. And Michael Jordan was at the top of it just at this particular moment. And because he was at the top of it when the information pipeline was so small, everybody knew who that was at every inch of this planet. And it's hard to demonstrate exactly what that looks and feels like now because we live in an age of of superfluous fandom. That type of fame will not Mm -hmm. be replicated. The difference now is instead of looking through that pinhole, it's like walking under a bridge. Well, and like you were talking about in terms of pairing a godlike figure in all different capacities with 
ads and commercialism <laughs> and whatnot, like how Nike With capitalism fit. combined. <laughs> yeah, all all of that stuff. Nike was sort of young, irreverent. They were able to punch up at Reebok and Adidas subtly, of course. But talking about getting to this Super Bowl ad, Phil Knight also abhorred traditional advertising. And Nike is now, I mean, yes, they have Nike all their is own just starting to throw punches through the back half of the 80s. Nike is not what it is today. Nike becomes what it is today through the 90s and through what is happening, what we're covering right now. Well, so for example, the Just Do It first appeared in 1988, talking about their, their ad campaign. The Air Jordans first appeared in 84, four years before the Just Do It stuff. And Michael was a 21-year-old rookie, and they signed him for a five-year, $500,000 deal. Yep. And now, God, the Jordan brand oh my God. is worth billions and billions. It also, he changed, created, some would say, the rise of the sneakerhead culture. Oh, absolutely. Because- I wouldn't say some would say. I, I would say you could pinpoint it down to it. This is, draw that line right back to the mid-90s. You can draw almost right to Michael Jordan's doorstep. Launched sneakers into multimedia and on every billboard across the world. Yeah, be as big as Michael Jordan was. Now, Nike is right up there next to him. That's the exposure going through that little tiny straw. So speaking of money, Jim Riswold coming in with his ad agency and Nike and they've signed Michael Jordan. He has done a ton of other Michael Jordan ads before the Super Bowl one. He did Spike Lee, his character, Mars Blackman from She's Gotta Have It, was in a commercial series with Michael Jordan. (laughs) as a collab. And so what happened was Jim Riswold saw an ad for Spike Lee's film at a theater in LA. It was promoting his new film. There were scenes in She's Gotta Have It involving Air Jordans. And Jim Riswold is like, I love this. Unite Michael Jordan with a real basketball infatuation, a cultural piece of media that's going on. This happened 1988. Mm. And he called him up and said, hey, Spike Lee, would you like to star and direct the commercial and be with Michael Jordan? Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. speaking again to Jim Riswold's character, Michael loved She's Gotta Have It, loved Mars Blackman, the character yes. from it. And it also ties into kind of what's happening with Michael Jordan at the time is making him human, having fun with things, making fun of him, yes. all of that stuff. Because there was a 94 commercial with Mars Blackman where this is now Michael Jordan is in his retirement and playing baseball right and mars blackman is going up to all these different famous baseball people and asking how michael's doing and they just all say he's trying he's trying he's trying and then it just says just do it nike yeah, air jordan yeah whatever <laughs> i'll post links to all the all the videos Hopefully, and yeah. ads and stuff we're talking about but like jim riswold is giving him <laughs> things that are basically making fun of him right in one interview i saw he just said he was ribbing him for having such a horrible batting average and michael's like why is that in the in the commercial and then michael says f you i'll do it (laughs) there we go and then it ends up being in the commercial challenge him (laughs) he'll do it yeah exactly Uh, no and and we're getting to the heart of i i think if there is a problem with the new one i'm just i I think it's that i don't see lebron doing that i don't think lebron could work with this dude and make those choices to make it into it you know but we're we're talking about it and this is the big thing with the mj versus lebron it's just a different time Mm -hmm. because of what is happening with 
basketball, with commercialism uh, in the early to mid-90s here. This is changing these businesses, and they're businesses. Let's remind ourselves here that these shoes, uh, movies, basketball, these are all businesses, but what is happening here is so cataclysmic, and it has made the way for what we see now, and we're still paying the dividends of it. And this is all only possible because of what's going on here, but it's so hard to to really describe how big this is because I feel like it's so casual now that the the the, the fandom fame uh, the internet and and everything that, that is shoved down our throats right now it's all so much and it's also commonplace and banal and it was not in 1995. It's almost interesting as well talking about coming from an ad man. Yeah, he's thinking about all this stuff. Maybe some would say from a you know sniveling mustache twirling <laughs> level, but then also he has this relationship with Michael Jordan. So it's it's just interesting that then he comes in and says, "Oh, I grew up loving Bugs Bunny, who is this wisecracking, <laughs> takes the Mickey literally you know out of people and says, let's mash these two together." And it was just because he he liked Bugs Bunny and knew that energy of Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny. And it was yeah. interesting because he even said he had writing complications getting this Super Bowl ad made where the the suits are saying, oh, Bugs can't be violent, Porky can't stutter, all this early arguing. Right. And he said, fine, we'll go with Roger Rabbit, which really huh. was a, you know, a chicken move playing chicken saying we'll do that. But they're, then they're like, no, 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 we don't want that. Yeah, we'll, we'll change that, it. So oh, that, my God. Roger he, was he played said, as a bluff. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. That's, Another I love rabbit. that. You glaze over that. But I'm like, oh, man, that's amazing because that's getting right to the heart of like, well, if you want it to be somebody else, if you want to, uh, some other character to share the field with the biggest basketball player on earth, sure. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, Disney owns them. Yeah. <laughs> so but he was even saying that he felt Warner Brothers had sanitized him and wanted to put more irreverence in the ad and is also not even sure that they used him to the fullest extent in Space Jam. Mm -hmm. Also, he was hired to work on Space Jam when it finally came to be. Yeah. He worked on a couple scenes, but he said he was dumped off. He's like the fifth to the last credit in the film ah. or something like that. He was like, I, he doesn't like it. He said it's not funny. It's not like what the original Looney Tunes was. Yeah. You know, I think he would be against Bugs Bunny rapping and all of right, that stuff. Right. And then he said it was interesting because Nike didn't want involvement in the film, but they're all over LeBron now. And the new wow. one. Yeah, he uh, when he lands into the tune world, he makes the shape of a Nike symbol. And I wanted to crawl onto my floor and die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, speaking of kind of that, that over ad business, this Jim Riswold, his life and career takes a crazy turn. Really? So he was diagnosed with leukemia. Oh he, yeah, he was diagnosed with leukemia in 2000 and quit advertising completely yeah. to become an artist, like a capital A artist. Oh, wow. He makes like, you know, modern art. He said he changed from the career of selling people things they don't need to making things people don't want. <laughs> and uh, he wrote a 2017 memoir called Hitler Saved My Life because his artwork is all revolved around like denigrating and making fun of dictators and political figures and whatnot. Oh, man. And it's yeah. also intertwined with his story about cancer. Oh really? So it's kind of interesting how he, he totally, yeah no went, he went did that his whole life. He totally got in touch with you just and then <laughs> wow went away from it. There there is one piece of him that is still attached to Jordan. So the Air Jordan twenties, the twentieth anniversary, 
part of the shoe design has a collage of various things related to Michael Jordan and the NBA mm. and the, mm-hmm. his career. And the word Rizzy is in that collage, which was Rizwald's nickname. Oh, yeah. That's, that was his influence as well. Is not just, you know, he was the ad man for yeah. the shoes. It's so fascinating that that is the kind of person that would really be the spark for what would become that film. Without him, mm-hmm. you know, who know, who knows? It, but it would probably, you know, it, it's got to be other things. But it's so, so odd that, you know, it's an advertiser that, kind of, you know, that is really <laughs> that's how it all came together back then. And and it's so I, I just watching it now. I mean, I'm thankful that they are tongue in cheek about what, exactly what it is. Like when Wayne Knight, oh God bless him, yeah, uh, you know, picks up <laughs> Jordan uh, from his house. You know, he makes his this amazing little monologue about like, we'll pick up X, Y, and Z. You got to get your Wheaties. Yeah, he says. Uh, he says, "Come on, Michael, it's game time. Get your Hanes on, lace up your Nikes, grab your Wheaties and your Gatorade. We'll pick up a Big Mac on the way to the ballpark." Because he was in all of those commercials. It's just beautiful, uh, yeah. you know. And that's baked into the, just the writing of it, and everybody sees, oh, it's comedy, you know, you know, and being able to just poke the fun of exact the being meta about poking fun of exactly what this is, and just being a little more natural. I, I think that's where at least that film succeeds, and I think if this film the new one fails in any way it's that it just doesn't feel natural making that joke but i think it succeeds in other ways <laughs> yeah well and i think the the sequel problem that doesn't happen with the first one like you're saying is like jordan and now we know from the last dance is all about basketball oh my god <laughs> like, that's all he <laughs> Ohio, is you know he, he did, like, for... to, to the sanctity of the game and the drive to <laughs> to it to to victory and you know yeah. it's, please watch the last dance it's incredible yeah, yeah this is being filmed the first space jam in 95 and so he had just lost kicked out of the playoffs and then he's about to make his triple finals win again so he's saying i will only do this if it does not interfere at all with me playing basketball right so they cram it in and he's doing 12 14 hour days they you get to him see a custom this. yes gym. you get to see this in the last dance yeah. it's absolutely immaculate it's incredible to see some of the footage that they have it's amazing you know it's basically almost an nba all-star game where the set of space jam becomes because he's playing for three hours after they're filming and then he's back again at 6 a.m and on it's a set. revolving door of the stars man people who are in the movie you mm-hmm. know you're like dennis rodman before he He's even part of the Bulls before he's a teammate of Jordan's just a couple years after he's there. That is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's it became <laughs> this kind of like office for Jordan while he was there. And you just mm-hmm. brought, bring him. I want to play him. We're going to, you know, like testing out who's the new talent, all that. If you need a meeting with him, well, we're going to Warner Brothers Studios. It's absolutely it was it was one of the yeah, just a yeah. highlight of me being somebody who knows nothing about basketball, nothing about Michael Jordan other than Space Jam. I had context yeah. for how that fit into the man's life, which I never had before i'm so thankful that i actually went down that road because it connected for me and 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 i hope that i'm trying to i'm trying to give some of that back here where it's like what he was and that's why i watched it but what he was is hard to describe and what he meant to that time and place it's just it's it it was a very special very very special thing Mm -hmm. but knowing enough about him and now he's you know, on the second of three final wins when it comes to, oh, we want to make a sequel. He's not interested right. at all. I mean, my God, he's back in the basketball no, game. I'm, going, that what you I'm made doing the, the impossible about? again. <laughs> but yeah. So come 97, he's like, I don't care about this anymore. Get this out of my right. face. 
but they're like, we got to have other jams. What are the other jams? So the first thing they come up with is Spy Jam, and it's going to star Jackie Chan. Yes. And the Looney Tunes. Ah! And then they, done it. then they decided, <laughs> or or these were all, I think, in concurrent you know, development, <laughs> yeah. and then it was no, whichever, sure. whichever, one took, whichever one caught on first. Let's go. I love it. Please. They had- they had Race Jam yes. with Jeff Gordon. Yes, yes. Because he was yes. huge. And then I loved it. I didn't even like racing. And I was like, I love his car. I love DuPont. Yeah. I love the rainbow car. You know, he's, like, the only, he's the only yeah. NASCAR driver I knew at the time. Absolutely. I'm, I'm right yeah. there with you. Exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, they had Skate Jam with Tony Hawk. Because oh! he was ascending. <laughs> which they still might do. I mean, who knows? <sighs> but can you, if and they had made they were, these... Yeah. Even if they weren't full feature films, even if they were like a TV show, if they had done and they did it hard on each one of these, it would have been beautiful. What you're talking about right now is a non-existent series that I it, it exists in some other timeline and I'm crying that I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what, what did end up happening, this guy, Joe Dante, he was he's a director. He was pitching and working on a biographical piece on Chuck Jones, who was one of the early creators at Warner Brothers in the 30s. Uh, and they said, it's old, it's period, don't care. We want another Space Jam. Yeah. So he agreed. They decided, settled on Looney Tunes back in action as their follow up thing. He wanted it to be more of a tribute to Chuck Jones, wanted kind of the anti-Space Jam, disliked how they represented the brand similar to Rizzy, where they're like, I don't know why Bugs Bunny would be doing hip hop. You know, <laughs> he wanted to bring it back. But he said it was the longest year and a half of his life. It was the worst thing in the world. They hired 25 different writers, then bombed in the box office, and then they held out until this thing in 2021. Gosh with lebron i i but hate that, to it, hear that they had some real ideas there you know i've this entire time i'm like well <laughs> they probably just didn't have anything that sounded that good it probably just like it probably just wasn't that great you know like and 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 that's all probably still true to be quite fair but yeah. it's like there were at least i'm delighted to hear that the other ideas that were floating around were at least so colorful and now looking back mm -hmm. i wish to god they had went forward with at least another one of them some of them before the 90s were through they really needed to capitalize on this name and take it into another realm if they can't get jordan back let's go tony hawk it's a no-brainer it's like it's let's do it <laughs> uh jeff gordon race jam you, yeah. i'm i <laughs> am the there you know <laughs> Well, here's the here's the culmination that I found looking into kind of committing to something. What does this represent? And I think it really does boil down to Bugs Bunny as a character, who he is. Like people keep hearkening back to like, well, we want it like the old mm. Looney Tunes or like, what was that? Who what did Chuck Jones and Tex Avery well, and all those what guys you have come uncovered up with for me with today? It? And maybe you're about to say more eloquently, but you've, what you've said is that the Looney Tunes were always playing second fiddle. They were always there to highlight something else, to sh prop up something else. That's what yeah, their music, function. Michael it's, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was what it was, and that's worth something. And that is that's show business, baby. It really <laughs> is down to the heart of it. Is oh, man that putting yeah. on the show and making your guest or making your host look as good as they could be. That's the job of the cast members on Saturday Night Live. Is make that host look incredible. That is what the Looney Tunes are. They are the cast of Saturday Night Live. They are the yeah. support group. And ultimately, that's what they come down to serve in both of these films. I wish I had checked out la back in action. Uh, I saw it back in the theater back <laughs> in the day, but I don't I really don't remember yeah. it whatsoever. But, you know, it's, that is what at the core of these films. The thing that I saw, and I'm stealing this from a video that I'll post a link to, but this guy was talking about, like, why 
Bugs Bunny? Did he age well? What makes him work as a character? Because he doesn't seem like a character from the 1940s. He's got anarchy. There's gender bending. He wears dresses. You know, he's a wise ass. It doesn't feel like Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie from the same time. And he said the reason he's aged so well is because talking about like the the corporate stuff and and being a vessel for something else like he is technically, you know, leaning up against the Warner Brothers logo in a tuxedo, biting a carrot, but he's not really a corporate mascot in the same, like Mickey is tame, inoffensive, international. <laughs> he's the logo for Disney and Bugs is a New Yorker who's brash <laughs> yeah, and yeah. defiant and he makes you laugh. He's not the face of a corporation. Like thankfully Warner Brothers has not leaned into that. He's a, the underdog, he's cool. Yeah. As, this is the great line. The guy said, Bugs is who you want to be. Nobody wants to be Mickey Mouse. Oh, my God. That and did that's... not put it perfect, <laughs> more perfect. That is exactly right. Yeah. And you put that person supporting something to saying something else. That That's what that character is so good for. You want to be that character. He's mm-hmm. cool. He made, <laughs> yeah. he made the antagonist into a fool, and he does it every time. Uh, it's Yeah. Well, I think tying in this new one with the old one and, and Bugs Bunny and what this he's is... doing and what he's done. This is where yeah. this film wins outright yeah. is where Bugs Bunny, where we find Bugs Bunny, literally where we find Bugs Bunny in this film. Uh, when LeBron James, and this might be spoilers if, if you want to go see this, when LeBron James is stranded on, on the Toon Planet inside the hard drives of the Warnerverse, the Toon Planet has been deserted and there is population one. And then as LeBron yeah. walks into the town, it ticks to two. Lo and behold, the one one left is Bugs Bunny, and we find out that all of the tunes were convinced to leave by the you know, the algorithm, and Bugs is the only one that stayed, and he's been living without them for quite some time. And immediately, this is yeah. I'm, it's this is where the film starts to have a heartbeat for me because we find a Bugs Bunny that is stricken with with grief. He's run himself almost near insane, and they really yeah. <laughs> depict this through it. And it's not that they go in any crazy way. I f- almost forget about it moment to moment because it's so loony. But when you go back, oh, like, oh my God, they play it as a joke. But it's like, his comedy is good. It's not a joke. Really start to, I think, comment on where the Looney Tunes property finds itself in 2021. When I go into this movie going, why now? And then I f- I'm arriving to this Bugs Bunny character that has lost everyone. And I've never seen this character like this. I've never imagined I would. <laughs> uh, this is where the movie starts to come online. Well, that's what's so interesting is because his character, yeah, he he's the underdog. He's cool. Like I said, he's not... I don't know if that's changing the character in a way, but it's like well, you're saying, I, it's, it's weird. We got it. You got to take themselves. him somewhere or he can't say anything anymore. That's where who, that's who he is and what he what he was. And maybe he can be that again. But we are I think I think in this country and I think the world is in a moment of flux and transition and sobering and reflection. And what now functionally in the plot, it serves as Bugs Bunny realizes that he can use LeBron in this opportunity to amass the team to selling it to LeBron as the team. And here we go. He is yeah. duping LeBron, but it's not. This is very this is subtextual. It's not on the surface of this film, but he is duping LeBron saying, yeah, we can go amass your perfect team to do this game and get your son back. But what he's really doing is found a way off of the planet to go and find his family. And what you do mm-hmm. naturally is why you win. And it's why you've been known since the 1930s. Uh, it, it, yeah. it, the movie comes alive with 20 minutes left when these tunes start being toony and they realize that that's the only way 
to win. That's the only way to win in life. And it, the, mo- the movie, in a, in a nonverbal moment, came alive to me when you see LeBron James cheering on these tunes who have needed the pep talk the whole movie. Yeah. Finding a Bugs Bunny that has gone through all of this, that is presenting it on screen and using it narratively, I uh, thought that to be really worthwhile by the end. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying it's, this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it seems, it seems to me, which the conclusion that I drew from it is like we're talking about with Bugs Bunny being, he is his own character and he's not some corporate mascot because he has these certain qualities. It's like that was in a way synonymous with Michael Jordan as well and what he needed in that moment. And Michael Jordan is a lot like bugs in that way. And I feel like LeBron, this is where like the disconnect comes for me with the characters is more like Disney. Mm -hmm. Like the (laughs) the story Mm -hmm. you're Mm -hmm. telling is not as much Maybe he would right. do better with alongside Mickey Mouse, or, you know. You know, know, and they conquer it all, and they're confident, you know. And that's that's, you know, yeah. Maybe. But it was so interesting. Then find myself in the moments, the few moments of the film. I've got a Bugs Bunny who's who's becoming the active ingredient really here in the narrative. As you know, they pull the moment like he's going, you know, he's going to fade away, and they you really get a Bugs Bunny death moment in every way that you could <laughs> imagine it. I mean, it really, I'm like my mouth agaped and I went, they're not doing this. And of course they're not really doing it like they're, yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah. It, they give it all the emotional resonance that they can give it. Lo and behold, he pops out into the real world and he's going to be roommates with LeBron, you know? So it's all happy. Go lucky. I get, it's cool, yeah. <laughs> but I, it almost skates over the point there when the emotional arc that Bugs Bunny has is it's not worth the risk. And I know the risk know what it's like to be without my family my family is together now i can't allow for that this family to be risk split up yeah well just crazy how it's all wrapped up in i'm amazed big I'm, brands I'm and commercialism i'm and- sweating because i've been avoiding this movie for <laughs> i've not had that response with many things i'm kind of into you know filmmakers taking a new take on things and seeing properties go in new directions that's why i've responded so well to what they've done really just with the bugs bunny character and what it has to do with loss and then you know if you're gonna make a movie about something it's like that's something to make it about and i didn't expect to find it at the heart of bugs bunny amazing and and granted i've been saying most of this episode that the first hour and a half is a movie it's a movie searching for meaning and i and then i think that (laughs) it really is and it but then i think that plays all the while back into everything it's really trying to say well how do you find your identity in this in in where we find ourselves now and what is like we yeah like we set up at the top what is original what is authentic it never started out (laughs) being that way right right their second fiddle it's meant to sell something so you know then maybe that is leaning into the to the thoughts of it it's yeah that i i found this to be so rich and it was so unexpected and i've had a fantastic time so thank you guys for following along. Thank you, Taylor, so much. Yeah. This has been an absolute blast. Um, Reach out to us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. What should they have done? What Or what one of the Space Jams would you like to have seen? You know, I, I, is this the yeah. way to go? I don't know. But it's certainly interesting. Man, I, I'm... I'm so glad to have had this conversation about this because I, I yeah. you know, we, again, I said at the top of the show, we don't trash things here. And so if we're going to do an episode about this, and obviously the reviews are bad, but this isn't about why it being bad, but it's about why does this exist? What's the now? kernel of truth? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Where, yeah. where did it come yeah. out of nowhere right now? Why? What is this? What is this horse of another color? 
and yeah. and what what about it ended up in this form? Uh, and there's so much more here yeah. between between these characters and the longevity between you know just multimedia and sports in the last 30 years. This was awesome. So thank you guys. Thank you Taylor again, <laughs> um, and we will catch you next week.